Welcome in to 2023 and the first Broadway Bulletin of the New Year. I think this is the last time you will hear us reference the New Year in an opening, okay? Um, we have a great show ahead of us and an amazing year of theater in store. So with that, let's delve into it. The first thing I kind of want to hit on uh let's just get the kind of the sad news out of the way uh mm-hmm. we've got a lot of shows on the docket for closing and so starting with yesterday sunday january 8th we bid farewell to some really big musicals yeah so we had 1776 into the woods beetlejuice almost famous and after 29 years stomp played its final performance um so you know we we had to bittersweetly say farewell to some really great theater. And uh, coming up this next Sunday. On the 15th, we say farewell to Death of a Salesman, Mike Birbiglia's The Old Man at the Pool, uh, Ohio State Murders, A Strange Loop, Top Dog Underdog, and then, and of course... The Music Man. The Music Man is 76 tromboning out of here. <laughs> They're pick a little talk a littling out of town. They're oh taking goodness. the Wells Fargo wagon right out of here. I got more puns. Trust me. You're terrible. Yeah. So we've you know we will be uh, that's that's eleven shows. Um, you know, ten of those are Broadway shows within two weeks of each other, and it it is a very sad seeing these shows close. I want to emphasize that, but with the exception of a few of them, uh, and I'm thinking maybe two. All of these shows played their full run, if not an extended run. Yeah. Which is a great sign. And with the exception of two right now, all of the theaters that um, have these shows closing have a show coming right in. So this is the bittersweetness of the business of Broadway. Right. It just, it. what's nice to know is that it's going to continue on. Yes. But these were some really amazing shows that will live on. And I can't wait to talk about them. But I mean, I feel like, you know, moment of silence for all the great theater we have lost or we will lose, you know. Um, and speaking of a moment of silence uh, regarding people or shows we've lost, um, unfortunately, we lost a great, great director. Frank Galati, the Tony Award winning director, uh, passed away at the age of 79. Right. And for those of you who have been listening to our main episodes, he was the director behind The Visit that we just released. Right. So it's, you know, it. it's always sad to lose someone in the theater. It's even more sad when you actually knew them or knew who they were. You know, I, I always Google people when they come up if I don't know who they are. But when, I, when, a, when a name comes up that I immediately know and I can associate with, it really... It hits hard even if you didn't know them personally, you know? We've lost another artistic giant, so. Right. Now, on to some more positive news. Exactly. Let's shift gears and then on a higher note. (laughs) So, uh, rumors, actually not rumors, what will be happening on Broadway is Peter Pan Goes Wrong will premiere at the Barrymore Theater in March. On March 17th, yep. Yeah, so this one is one I'm really excited about. It's from Mischief Theater Company. They did the play that goes wrong. Um, Here in the States, and they've got a few other shows over yeah, in the UK. Yeah, they have a lot of stuff over in the UK. They're based in the UK, so I'm very excited that this show is coming on over. There's a lot of clips from this show that have been on like TikTok and YouTube and that and social media. Um, the one I think of most is when they're 
Don't give anything away. Well, well, no, it's not giving it away because it's around, but they're they're all in bed. You know, all the kids are in bed and the beds collapse one on each other. And I just remember the first time I saw that, I was like, God, I wish I could see the show. So hearing that this is coming, I'm like, amazing, amazing, you know. Um, and I also love that, I don't know if you've seen some of the ads for it. You know, of course, it, it's similar to the play that goes wrong, you know, uh, the titling of it. But for 16 and a half weeks only. Who does a half week run? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, I love that they just, they do that kind of marketing. It's yeah. so smart. Now, some other shows that are are confirmed, we just don't know where they're going yet. And this is for the spring of 2023. So, you know, on our big board of, of theaters that have shows and theaters that don't, we have The Mousetrap, mm-hmm. Room, which was just announced this week, and High Noon, uh, a show that I, I actually found when I was looking at the great directory of shows that are coming to Broadway. There's a play called High Noon coming. Um, so we've got three shows that are looking for theater, apparently. Um, and I'll be interested to see where those go to. Because looking at the big board, the only theaters right now that are empty are the Jacobs, the uh, James Earl Jones. The Broadway. The Broadway. And the Lyceum. Hmm. So... It'll be very interesting to see what what theaters take on what shows. Not to mention there's other stuff coming in the fall, obviously. But, um, you know, come, come the spring, we can have a really bountiful year on Broadway. Uh, it could be another year for the audience member. We don't have much show chatter to talk about because... Um, we had a little bit of a lull, which was nice to take a little time off from seeing shows. But we did see... Um, Almost Famous. Yeah, one of the final performances of Almost Famous. First thing I want to do is shout out a really good friend of mine uh, who I got to work with, uh, Brendan Contreras, who played Silent Ed brilliantly. And I want to say this show, this is one of those shows that I'm mourning because the critics have been way off base this season, this year alone. Uh, I'm really disappointed in the critics and the reviews, and I'm very disappointed in the the destruction that they've caused in the theater because this show did not get reviewed well by critics, and I don't know what they were watching is the thing. And I'm not going to tell people what to think. I'm It's just me, but when I discuss with other people, we all seem to be on the same page, and the critics seem to be on their own island. But this, for me, was such a solid show. Great story. Great music solid performances. I would be more than happy to go back and see this again. And I hadn't seen the film. So I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't know what the story was going to be. I had a loose idea. I was like, okay, he goes on the road with the band and covers it for Rolling Stone. Cool. But I didn't know what I was going to get into. So I don't have, like, the film to hold it up to. I just know that I went, I had a really great time. I love that the audience was a mix of a lot of young people. And some older people, a lot of people like my age, because the film came out in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't think it was given its fair time to run. And I think it probably closed because of weak future ticket sales. But it's like, I think if we got past the new year, you know, it, it you might have seen a huge uptick because the positive, the positive uh, chatter about it on social media and other places by like regular Joes like me. I think would have steered a lot of people to it. And a lot of tourists, I'm sure, would have seen that title and been like, oh, I know that film. 
because it was it was cool. It was a lot of fun, so I'm bummed about it. The other thing I want to say is the week of Christmas, which is typically the biggest week for Broadway during this lull. So the winter months, November to like the end of February, are the the lowest months on Broadway on ticket sales and everything because it's it's the winter. But the week of Christmas is typically, you know, everything builds up to that week. And then we kind of drop off because, you know, tourist season is gone. Well, we had that huge storm come across the U.S. And it turned out that week of Christmas was absolutely horrible at the box office. When the numbers came in, it was like, what happened? Like, oh my gosh. It was so confusing, right? And then you were actually the one that said, I wonder if it was because of the storm. And I thought, oh yeah, I bet a bunch of people who were coming here didn't make their show. Mm-hmm. Didn't even think of that. Well, the next week... All of a sudden, shows were setting box office records. Uh, Funny Girl set another record at the August Wilson and Juliet at the Sondheim. Um, uh, Beetlejuice at the Marquis. It was incredible. The, I mean, it was a night and day. So it was a positive thing to end the year on to let us know the health of and vitality of the Broadway theater. You know, that's we're a full year in ending the pandemic i can't say post-pandemic and so to be able to have that hopefully we build on that going into the spring and speaking of building on things and banner years and big money um we just want to thank all of our patrons we want to invite you out there uh please sign up at patreon.com slash sage whisper pod this is a great time to sign up we are looking to sign up uh at least 10 patrons this month any level is appreciated. Uh, you can also leave a tip in our tip jar. You know, if 10 of you sign up on that $1, that's $10. That means the world to us. Right, and your funds will go on to help us maybe get new microphones so that we can sound a little better, um, but also so that we can continue to go to these shows to give you feedback and give you the information. And support theater and the arts here. And continue to bring on guests like the one we have coming up, which is a really big deal. Um, But just continue growing this show and this community that really you all have helped thrive and build. Um, But your, your, um, your generosity is so appreciated. So please take yourself over to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. Take your friends over there. Give us what you can. It's so appreciated. To quote one of my favorite musicals, every little bit helps. (laughs) Give us your money. Yeah, give us your money. (laughs) Avenue Q. (laughs) So with that, we have incredible, incredible news. We have an incredible um, episode of Whisper in the Wings lined up next. This is big. This is huge. Like, enormous. Um, Up next, we have an interview with a singer, dancer, actor. Just an incredible performer. Um, she is an amazing queer performer of color. Her name is Jasmine Raphael. And this is our first Broadway show interview. Uh, you can currently catch Jasmine in the production of Anne Juliet playing at the Stephen Sondheim Theater eight shows a week. Um, but we talked to her about a lot of things, including Anne Juliet. So get excited for this amazing interview and enjoy this new episode of Whisper in the Wings.
Welcome in listeners to an incredibly special edition of Whisper in the Wings. Um, We are starting the new year off with a bang. We have a huge interview today. Joining us today, we have Jasmine Raphael, who is a dancer, actor, singer. She is an amazing performer, currently performing in the Broadway production of Anne Juliet, which is playing at the Stephen Sondheim Theater. Jasmine, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks. For I am me. honored to have you uh, here, uh, not just in our previous conversations about you as a performer, but because of the show you're involved with. Um, it's such an incredible show. I feel like it's that <clears throat> tucked away show right now on Broadway where it's just, it's killing it, but a lot of people don't know about it. And every time someone's like, what's a good show to see? I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to see Juliet. You have to go see it. That story alone is worth it. Um, so first of all, why don't we get the, the the buzzing question out of the way? Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the show and Juliet? Yes, of course. I'm happy to. I love the show. Um, so our show is and Juliet. It was created by David Westreed, who's a writer on Schitt's Creek. And it's the songs of Max Martin, like pop, the Shakespeare of pop, if you will. And um, we we tell the story of what if Juliet didn't kill herself at the end of Romeo and Juliet. And it kind of takes us on this adventure with her. And yeah, it's super fun. It's framed in the songs of Max Martin. So it's a jukebox musical, but we embrace that wholeheartedly. We don't try to hide hide that fact. And it's done so well. It's not, it, we've talked about on our show because we've, we've discussed jukebox musicals. The best ones are the ones where they write the story and then they insert the songs rather than going, here's the songs you want to do and then write a story around it. Cause it just yes. works so well, the way this, the songs just kind of organically come out and you don't shy away from the humor in it. When you bring up like boy band songs and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is such cheese and I'm buying it. Like, yes, <laughs> yes it's very, yes. And it's very like we, we embrace this wholeheartedly and um you're so right i think that the audience feels kind of smart when they're watching the show because they're like oh i totally get how this like they'll hear the intro of a song that they're very familiar with and it's right in the perfect moment of a scene and they're like Mm -hmm. of course and it kind of i think it energizes the audience member to feel like they're in on something because we all know and love these songs from our youth absolutely Um, so it's really wonderful. It's that's my favorite part of the of the show, that element. Oh man, 15, 16-year-old me was living his best life. Right. I remember right. all of this. But then also seeing all these younger audience members, I was like, I'm glad you appreciate this, but like I have like core memories right now, you know. No, literally videos on MTV. Like I'm remembering this. Yeah, it's really yeah, TRL, like those days and stuff. Right? You're just like, yo, this is for me, you know what I mean? Like, it's very, very nostalgic. I love it. So I want to talk about you just a minute as a performer. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a bit about you as a performer? Yes. So I'm a singer, actor, dancer from LA, like based in Riverside, California. And I danced professionally starting at the age of 19 in LA for about 10 years, a little over 10 years. And then I wanted to move, yeah, to to tell sort of 
different stories. You can only tell so much, I think, as a dancer behind artists, which is an incredible journey. But I was like, oh, what else can I can I do? So I moved to New York to do theater for a bit, but I I actually booked a job that inspired me to move back to LA because I was like, I don't have any connections in, in theater. I only have connections literally in the dance industry. So I went back to LA, but I still had that like heart to tell deeper stories. So I just went to like two different acting schools at the same time. And I just like just acted for a while. And then I gave up this sort of like drive to like, I must go to New York, but I did want to be, of course, like when you move to New York, you're like, I want to be on Broadway. But then I moved back and then I guess everything that I've loved throughout my life sort of called the universe to give me this opportunity to literally go on Broadway. Like they were like, there's this tape for this show. And then, um, and then I auditioned and then, yeah. So now I'm here. <laughs> so that's like my journey through, through like where I am at now. But yeah, I was, I was mainly a dancer for like working professionally for about yeah a decade and teaching a lot like at different schools and everything. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. And kudos to you for being a teacher. I mean, that's one, that's one of the hardest things to do, but two, it's one of the most valuable things we have, the performing arts. It's important that we grow the next generation of performers as well. So making the transition from dancer to to actor, performer, triple threat, what has it been like um, working as that here in, on Broadway? It's amazing because I get to come from this like not like unbiased perspective, like all of my friends that are in the cast, you know, they went to school for musical theater and all of these things. Whereas I came from dance, which is, I feel like dance is so pure because you're just dancing to the music. You're not really talking, you know, it's just, you're just telling the story through your body. So I feel like, yeah, I can look at everything with like wide eyes, like, you know, being in a show where people are like saying how they feel and dissecting things. And I mean, of course I, I did act cause I, I learned for a few years, but it's, it's dope. Like I, I feel like, yeah, learning about stories in this, in this just such a different way. And I'm not, I don't carry any like baggage of any other theater jobs or anything like that. So my friends are just usually helping me through, like, this is usually how it goes here. This is usually like what we do here, or you can ask a little bit for more. Cause I mean, as a dancer, you're just taught to like work. Like if someone asks you something, you just say, yeah, 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 I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas in theater, I think there's a little bit more discussion around like, is this something that we can do? You know, is this, do you feel safe doing this? <laughs> yeah, like dance is a little bit, I mean, we don't have necessarily a union. You know what I mean? So dancers, if they're like, go on that ladder, or go do this, or like, let's run this for like the eighth hour. We unfortunately don't really have that. And I think that surprises a lot of people in that they assume, you know, that with all the unions that exist on Broadway, they extend into other facets of performing arts and, and they don't. And they're they so don't. important to keep the performers safe. They're so important. And I'm re- I really appreciate that you brought that up, especially you brought up the idea of, is this safe? Do you feel safe? Because it leads me actually to my next question, um, which I was really inspired when you when we were chatting um, through 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 chat messaging. Um, you you are a queer performer, 
And I wanted to know what has your experience been as a queer person performing on Broadway lately? Yeah, I am queer and I am a woman of color, obviously. So that's going to like, that has colored my experience on, on Broadway, Broadway to first feel like excited that I'm invited to the table and that quite a few of us are now, but it also, yeah, I think through that lens, I mean, also I'm cis. So there's so much about the queer experience that I resonate with, but not necessarily the trans or non-binary experience. And that's something that I like strive to learn more about as a queer person. But I do feel embraced and happy that our stories are being told. I do have a lens of like, oh, there's like, it's still not that as diverse as you think it's going to be in terms of like audiences necessarily, right? Especially like I'm from LA and I guess the Broadway audience still is not, it's just really not that, that diverse because of, I think, the accessibility. You notice that from front. And I I hope that there are ways that we can be more inclusive in terms of accessibility with, I don't know what that has to, I guess that has more to do with, yeah, with like classism and like p- being a person of color. But my queerness is what... O- is truly what opens my eyes up to like equity in, in general, because it's been the thing that I've had to fight for the most. You know, as a person of color, I've felt always pretty good in spaces. It was only when I, and I also, I came out when I was like 23. I didn't even grow up like knowing or feeling that I was different. I like found out when I was like 23. So when I had to fight for my queerness, that's when I was feeling like I had more of a subversive existence, I guess. And that's what opened my eyes up to like, oh, wait, these people are being left out and these people are being left out. So on Broadway, Broadway is making steps, but not super, super quickly, I would say as quickly as we would hope. So that's been my experience is celebrating the fact that we're here, but also being like unable to ignore the fact that, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. Absolutely. It, it's been great that the acknowledgement's there, but let's put some, some you know, shoulder to the, the grind and let's do something about it. And not in a 10-year plan, you know, that's... No, that's not feel like They always lay out, you know, here's our 10-year plan. No, we can do it quicker. There's a way to do it quicker. It needs to be now because it's long, long past due, you know? No, it's it really is. And then it's visibility, but it's also conversations that we're having within shows or like with each other. And really, I think that's where the work needs to be. Like, each person needs to look at themselves and their own bias. And that's really how we're going to make change. It's not necessarily these, like, 10-year plans, like, well, in 10 years, we're obviously going to have more queer stories. Yes. But it's, like, even within those queer stories, I think it's, like, how we talk to each other and listening to the queer people within that story being, like, actually, this makes more sense to me. Can we talk about that with the team, with the creative team? You know what I mean? or this doesn't resonate with my experience. Even as a queer person, I mean, I am still like a fe- like female presenting, like femme, cute little cisgender girl. You know, I don't really have it, have the experience of like a non-binary person or like, you know, um, I still have a lot of privilege. You know, I'm a person of color, but I'm not, uh, I'm not marginalized in other ways that other people, pe- people of color are. So there's always a way to, look at your own bias. And I think those are the conversations we need to have, like uncomfortable ones.
what changes then would you like to see made in the theater? We've talked about the different discussions and listening to queer people, but are there any other changes you'd like to see that are, that that uh, might be made in the theater? I think we can always look at the way we talk about gender, and that's that's hard, you know. Uh, I think that a lot of theater is still quite gendered in terms of like the men and women, boys and girls, like even, you know, best actor, best actress. I mean, these are things that we think about and we're like, how could that even change? And I, I'm I'm not saying that we do or it necessarily needs to happen right away, but I think it's just something to look at. And I mean, we obviously think about that and we're like, how or what or like what conversations, but that's why I think it's just starting the conversation, making things a little bit less less gendered because not everybody identifies that way truly and there are ways for the individuals that give so much to our shows to feel more seen you know and they really deserve that because they they give everything to when when you're performing a show or when you are even a supporter of theater you are giving so much to that art so I think that that the scope of theater could could do a lot to expand that pronouns you know should be really shared all the time in 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 playbills I think you know I I think that as as allies and you know I think that that's really important I think that's incredibly well said I think that's absolutely incredibly well said and coming from someone who's older and I will say lived through this great change in including and and associating with pronouns I can remember in college when all of a sudden it was like tell me what your preferred pronouns are in that and I was like I'm so confused. This is so different. But then realizing I would, you know, I I have a, a last name who it always got mispronounced by people. And it really bothered me. And I thought, how would someone feel if I just didn't acknowledge her pronoun? It's something so simple. I could yeah. just do this. That, that's not hard. Okay, let's get on board with this. Like there are wor- there are harder things we can complain about. This is not hard. And then learning about it and just like learning from people I knew about why it's so important. It was like, oh, okay. This is something really important I can do that's so easy for you. Or so easy for me, I should, excuse me. So easy for me. All I have to do is acknowledge you with a simple two letter, three letter, four letter word. And it shows me that I care about you. I see you and I accept you. Just by saying that. That is so well said. It's really, it's really not. Yeah, it's really not that hard. You know, it, it it can be hard if your identity is wrapped up in sort of like societal, like what you know is society, then yeah, it can be hard. And then I think that's what people need to address. If it feels quite, if it feels really hard to you to, to just do something that makes someone else feel uncomfortable and it feels like it's taking something away from you, I think that's what needs to be, there's something else going on in terms of like privilege or like identity mm-hmm. that I think you kind of need to look at not meaning you're like a bad person but something that you need to look at that that might inadvertently cause someone else to not feel seen I mean yeah we don't have to be feel guilty or ashamed it's just like okay I need to look at that just like any other growth experiences that you yeah have it. but yeah it doesn't take anything away from you in fact it, it makes you more of a open and well-received person well, what things are you most excited about in the theater, either now or um, to come? Gosh, I am excited. I am excited about more stories being told through the eyes of people that usually don't get to 
tell them, people in the queer community, black and brown stories for sure. I think that it's it's gonna be a big healing, not only because more of these stories will be told, but also it's gonna be a, a, a big healing for, for all of us that have felt different from each other, people from those communities to feel seen on a on a stage that has mainly been not for those communities and to be like, wow, like I'm represented here. And then also for, you know, people that are not in those communities that have been in maybe more quote unquote, or not quote unquote, but actually privileged communities to see and say, oh my gosh, like this person is experiencing something that I experience, you know, the same heartbreak or, or, you know, like I can identify with this or, oh my gosh, that's a perspective that I actually didn't know, but I know what it's like to feel alone. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to fall in love. And, and I would hope that it would just brings us all together. You know what I mean? That's like what I hope is not, you know, one higher than the other, not being pit against each other. It's not a competition. It's literally like, I think the goal is to empathize with each other and see like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, we are, I I resonate with you deeply. So now when I see people that look different from me or sound different from me or have different experiences out in the world, I can say, I can empathize more and and show real actionable kindness to people um, that that make real, yeah. And I hope that it makes real change. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I cannot tell you how many shows I've seen that I have just, it's opened my eyes to to another person's story and I've related to. So I want to shift back to Anne Juliet just for a moment. Yeah, let's do it. Um, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, but there is a um, a supporting role in the show mm-hmm. that I, I mentioned, uh, I, I took a huge note down that I was impressed, but there's a non-binary character in the show. Yeah. Um, that's uh, Juliet's kind of best friend. If memory yes. serves you right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I, I mean, I love that. I, I don't think I have seen such a prominent role in a Broadway show played. Uh, basically, it's a non-binary character. It's not just a a a transgender person or a a, a cross-dresser. So, you know what I mean? It is a full-on, no. it's a non-binary character from yeah. the get-go. And, and we leave it at that. And that's not even the focus of it, which I loved. Um, a thousand times that was not their story their story was something completely different Mm -hmm. you 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 know you touched on 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 different genders um and the power of that in the theater and telling those stories and being in a show like Anne Juliet that I mean from the word go you guys immediately introduce this non-binary character and these different relationships that we've seen on stage before in a show with iconic characters, Romeo and Juliet, yes, what is the message that you're hoping the audiences will take away from all of this? Yeah, I think that, gosh, the message that I want them to take away is that we're all, we're all human, you know, we're all the same and we, we can relate to each other no matter how different, no matter how different we are. And I think to just have more empathy, that's what I, that's what I really hope that the audience takes away and that uncomfortable converse or like uncomfortable. I mean, it's not, that's not my story. You know, the, the non-binary story is so special because me as a cisgender person is learning constantly through the eyes of a non, 
binary person, which I can never fully understand, you know, that it's just that effort that it takes for someone to be like, I don't, I don't fully get it, but let me step into the uncomfortable position, uncomfortable position of, of, of that person's shoes. And just that effort is going to give you back so much. It's going to make you like 10 times more kind, honestly, if you just, if you just try and yeah, to be able to take on the fact that someone else is having a hard time. Yeah. And just truly empathize. So I hope it just, I hope audiences just carry that empathy and say, where can I be more kind? Cause we can, even if you think that you're the most accepting person, even if you're queer already, even if you're a person, like, where can I be more kind in my life? Where am I sort of blocking myself against the kinds of people that are this, the kinds of people that are like my dad, the kinds of people that are like, you know, my ex or like, or like the people in my life that I'm just like, I don't get it. I don't understand. Like, we all have a place where we can be a little bit more gracious. Oh, to my, to yourself. I think that is like the first thing that you should do. Where can I accept myself more and say, I get why I did that. I get why I'm being like this. I get, you know what I mean? Or like, I I think just increasing compassion overall. And yeah, again, even if you think that you're doing just like the best job you are, and I'm totally commend you, even people that are like, don't get it. How could, how could they get it at first? It's not your experience. You know what I mean? Of course, like they're not to be blamed, but I think just stepping one, one foot closer, an inch closer to being a, a kinder person. Yeah. And opening up your mind. Uh, that's what I hope. I think it's a personal experience. And I think, I think that's what I want people to take away from. It's not necessarily just the concept and idea of being more inclusive and joining a group right away or doing this right away. I think what I want people to take away is like, how can I turn to someone in my life and say, am I being there enough for you? Am I listening to your experience enough? Like, am I recognizing that I feel different from this person and I might feel a little better than this person. It's just being honest with yourself. Yeah. And listen, listeners, you have got to see the show because Jasmine is hitting this message on full cylinders. And I want to like just sit here and take apart all these bits of the show, but it will give everything away. (laughs) And I'm not doing that today, but go see the show because you are absolutely right. And it's not just this, this non-binary character that we've talked about. I mean, it's all the relationships that, that happen in the show that you were literally pinpointing and then into our own lives. Like you said, I love that. Oh my gosh. I love that. The last question I want to ask about the show is who do you hope have access to the show god i want everyone to have access to the show really i want like no matter what situation you are in financially circumstantially i hope that we have more opportunities to provide to less privileged communities and to be able to to watch the show whether it be like programs that we're involved in or i hope people reach out to the powers that be to to try to have access to to see this story. I think it's a great story and an important story as there are so many out there, but it's just different when you're sitting in a seat and you see someone that is different and you feel different 
um, especially as a young person. I really hope younger communities and the youth get to see this show. But also, I think that is very helpful that we're performing to the audiences that are already coming, which might be people that, you know, really can afford tickets already and, and people in privileged community, communities, because they are the people that we want to hear this message as well. So really everyone with a special affinity towards younger communities and schools and education programs with, yeah, underprivileged Shifting back to you, what shows in the past have inspired you or do you love? Mm. My favorite show ever is Spring Awakening. It was it was a big game changer for me when I was younger. I I love anything that's like subversive in nature. I guess it's my personality. I always, I always felt like my very first musical that I loved was Rent, you know, and it's just like the bohemian life and kind of going, sticking it to the man, like whatever that means. <laughs> I, I think I've always felt a little different. I think as we all feel when we're, when we're younger and like, I just had a little more like angst or fire. And so like Rent really like fueled me. Spring Awakening, obviously, like discovering sexuality at a young age and how sort of stigmatized it could be that really like spoke to me as a Filipino, you know, person American person I like I like anything that that tells those stories and like the communities like the bohemian community or like high school in Germany <laughs> like I, I it really those are what have inspired me growing up and then older you know in the heights is a special one because like family is like so important to me and finding your place just tons and tons but those are a few I love that Mm-hmm. Now, I know you've been busy eight shows a week there at mm-hmm. the uh, Sondheim Theater, but by chance, have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to tell us about or just sticking at the Sondheim? No, no, I've been seeing things for sure. Oh. Um, Hades Town, which is out, of course, is like my favorite. I say, of course, because I feel like, God, like that's a great <laughs> show. And that's my favorite show I'm out right now. It's incredible. I watched Almost Famous a couple of weeks. My friend is in it. And it's a great, it's a great show. I love the spirit of it. It's young and free and it's beautiful. The performances are amazing. Top Dog Underdog I saw, which is really phenomenal. Oh my God, Ain't No Mo is the best thing I've ever seen. Um, yes. Did you watch it? Oh my gosh. I, yep, yep. I saw it and I had to sit in the audience for like 10 minutes after just to let it like to digest all of it to be like what did I see how do I what do I do with all of this and it, yeah. yeah I agree that was the best play I've ever seen on Broadway Hands it down. was unreal I I am so sad that it's closing and I pray that there are spaces for stories like that and like the way that it was told was so I mean yeah, I, if you are listening, I hope you got to see Ain't No Mo, and I hope we can see iterations of it in the future because we are so lucky to yes. have seen that. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was on team extended. I couldn't believe how quickly they like closing. And then the K-pop like... closing as well was was sad. K-pop is a beautiful show, the choreography and yeah, just such talent up there. So I have been able to see things. There are things that I want to see, but unfortunately our holiday schedule is over, which is where we were able to see some yep. shows because some of us had like a nine show week while someone had like a seven show week or like 11 show week, you know, weeks or whatever. It was it was crazy, but I think I could see like Phantom, like some show six I've never seen, which they play on, you know, Mondays or there's like a Thursday matinee. So, yeah. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? Mm, the people, the camaraderie, the collaboration and being a part of an ensemble and being not just an ensemble that goes on stage, but the ensemble of the theater, like the crew and your management and I feel like it's taught me so much about being a good person at work, which has always been a huge principle of mine. It really is a balance of creating, yeah, creating a safe space for people, but also knowing your own boundaries when you're not feeling that great to to know how to manage that in a workplace and like take some time or communicate. That's like my favorite thing. And, and we have so much fun. Our cast is like literally obsessed with each other. It's kind of weird and unreal. I think it's because we're like the original Broadway cast. There's something so that we're like, we have 15 Broadway debuts. So it's like, we're obsessed with each other. I mean, that's my experience. If my, my cast will hear this, I'm sure, but like, that's what I think. I think we all love each other, um, but we, I think we all feel that for sure. So that's my favorite part is like the people. So what is your dream role? To be honest anything that like fully can utilize like I feel like who I am and like all a, a role that takes everything from me I guess I just like to work really really hard it makes me so happy to like dig everything up yeah I, just a well-written fleshed out character I mean Eurydice like is a great example of that like a character that has a lot of work to do internally and can yeah can can play that out for people in the most honest and genuine way I love I love being just so like heart wide open in my art but a dream role would be a role I think that doesn't exist yet like something that is written by the minds around me that are still bubbling and that's what it would be I would love to do just straight acting honestly like a play or something would be so wonderful as well but I love musicals so yeah That's, I love that answer well let me ask you my favorite question to ask uh guess uh which is what is your favorite theater memory oh what is my favorite theater memory oh I have so many but I got to watch Spring Awakening on stage like when they were still having people like sit on stage and like be a part of like be a part of the show god it was unreal it was amazing because like they they would do it and then they would like be like and sit next to you and they were still so conscious of like the audience that got to sit there and like they would like put their hand on your leg and then they would go out and do the thing and like it was just like like could I get any closer I'm totally an audience member that wants it doesn't matter what the show is even if someone tells me no literally the show is the best from the mezzanine I will literally take a first row ticket 
for sure. I'm just so dramatic. I like want to like be as close to that person as possible, feel everything. So to be on stage during that show is unreal. That's incredible. And that that's one of the few shows that I've seen that do have the audience on stage. And I'm like, yeah, that that's an okay show to have audience members on stage and I'd, I'd splurge for a ticket like that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. No, no. And the tickets were cheaper because yeah. they're partial, they're partial view. Yeah. Cause you were like profile on the side. Yeah. So there were moments when they were like downstage and you're like, what now? <laughs> oh God. I hope spring awakening comes back to Broadway. Oh, it's a great show. It really is. Now you're in, I know you've got, you're busy with Anne Juliet, but are there any other productions or projects that you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug? Mm, I'm, I'm uh, starting to teach again in the city. So if you like, look at my Instagram and if you're a dancer, even like a mover, I, I'm, you know, teaching an open class coming up soon on the 16th. And yeah, just whatever shows come up, um, I'm affiliated with this organization or a group called Broadway Barcada, which is a Filipino, Filipinos on Broadway, basically, and they have shows and everything. So I hope to collaborate with them soon. And yeah, any live shows, that's most, mostly my goal this year is to just perform live again. I got my little guitar, so I'm ready, you know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, do keep us posted about your live performances. We'd love yes. to see that. Yes. Yeah. If our listeners want to get more information about your projects, uh, including Anne Juliet, or about you, or they want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Yeah, my Instagram is Jasmine J. Raphael, and my website is jasminerafael.com. And yeah, just all my, my info is there, my booking info or anything like that. Would love to hear from you. Well, Jasmine... Truly, this has been an honor. Our first Broadway interview, oh. uh, speaking with you as a queer person of color, uh, a perfect performer of color has been an honor. And just learning so much about you has been incredible. So thank you so much for coming on today and speaking with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been so fun. What a fun vibe. Thank you. <laughs> My guest today has been Jasmine Raphael, who is a performer in the current Broadway production of Anne Juliet, currently playing at the Stephen Sondheim Theater. Uh, tickets and more information available at AnneJulietBroadway.com. You can also get more information about Jasmine's upcoming dance classes that she's teaching and live performances by visiting her website, JasmineRaphael.com or by following her on Instagram at Jasmine J. Raphael. And I would highly encourage you to visit all of those websites and be sure to follow Jasmine. Go take her dance class, go see her perform. She is an incredible performer and make sure you check out this Broadway show. It is absolutely amazing. Uh, There's amazing stories being told and you need to see them. So don't miss out on this. We'll be there. Uh, seeing Anne Juliet again on Thursday, January 12th. So make sure you come out and join us. And uh, we'll be supporting Jasmine wherever we can. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your mask on, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you.
If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is DJ by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar, Nangdo, and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.